I'm Mike. I'm Austin. We are the test drivers. And we put tech through its paces. And now the dust has settled, I think in today's episode, we need to talk a little bit more about Windows. But of course, we must start with Z Flip rumors. Of because course. what else would we do? <laughs> what else would we do? It's We're approaching the critical time for Z Flip 3, friend. We're all in this together, and there's no turning back. We've been talking about Z Flip when there was no news, <laughs> you know? So of course, we're going to talk about it now that there's news. I'm curious. I wonder if someone can go through all of our episodes and see like what the percentage of test drivers episodes per Z Flip mention are. I bet it's pretty close to one to one at this point. I don't. I actually think I don't want the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't think I, I, I think I'm good about it. Uh, so there's been a bunch of uh, leaks. It's not just the Z Flip. There's also been a bunch of like very, I think, it came from Evan Blass. I think we mentioned this last time. If Evlix has got something, it's legit. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is for the, the upcoming Galaxy Unpacked event, which is rumored to be in August. Uh, Evan says the 11th of August. So we're looking at about a month from now. And we have animations of what would appear to be a new Z fold. Mm-hmm. Would this be three? It would, right? I think they're both going to be called the Z Flip 3 and the Z Fold 3, mostly to keep things consistent, Consistent. even though nothing has been consistent at all about their folding phone names so far. But it's fine. It is is what it is. The Z Flip 3, it's going to have that like two-tone, like pixel kind of look to it, Mm -hmm. which I actually, for this device specifically, I think looks extra good and they've got a couple of interesting colors a green and a gold and then they also have some new headphones and a new watch yeah yeah part of this and there's actually uh, i know that we've been kind of glossing over the fold here but the fold does look like it's getting a fairly substantial update including it seems like there will be either an s pen accessory or an s pen built in we're not really clear but it does seem like the s pen is going to make its way to the fold which seems like an absolute no-brainer really yeah I mean, looking at the way, looking at this little render video, I think this is going to be, it will have S Pen support like the Ultra does, where it's like, you can use it, but there's just nowhere to put it. Yeah, yeah. You attach it on like an accessory or a case or something along those lines. That's cool. Uh, But it's Z Flip time, baby. I am very excited. So about your hype? It looks nice, Austin. It looks really nice. It's a good update. It's a good update. So uh, if you haven't seen or you're just listening in the podcast and you haven't seen any of this stuff, I would encourage you to go check out, especially there's like some really good GIFs that kind of give you like some good like 360 views. Mm -hmm. I would describe it as the current Z Flip with, like you said, a two-tone design, a much larger screen and looks like larger cameras. We'll see how much better they really are. But other than that, it's very similar. It looks to be roughly the same size. And I think the big thing that jumps out to me is that there's a lot of little refinements when you look at these GIFs. Like, sure, the hinge doesn't close completely flat, so you still have a little bit of a gap toward the back where the screen folds on itself. But it does look like it doesn't have those, like, sort of big, like, sort of ridges around the edge that the current Z Flip has of the display. Like, those kind of the thick kind of bezels that actually protrude a little bit. This seems like it's going to be a little bit flatter. On the inside, right? It, it has that kind of like that plastic rail, basically, that goes around the whole edge of the screen. Exactly. I don't think yeah. that's gone, but that's much smaller now, which is going to be really nice because one of the things that 
does irritate me a little bit from time to time with the Z Flip is when you're trying to do like a swipe gesture from like left or right. And sometimes you can't get your finger all the way to the edge of the screen because it's that little lip. Or like if you're trying to press like a button on the very edge of the corner of the display, it's a little hard. I actually found this out. Uh, this actually was irritating me last night. I was watching Loki, the, the final episode of Loki, mm -hmm. no spoilers, on my Z Flip in bed. And I was trying to like swipe back in the Disney Plus app. And it, I couldn't do it because like it wasn't taking the touch from the very edge of the screen. So I just had to rotate the phone to uh to portrait and do it that way so there are That's little weird. refinements i think that will make a fairly substantial kind of like usability and livability kind of update for the z flip also um my hinge is getting slightly worse <clears throat> oh, just slightly wait, what can you remind me what happened again it just it was it just got a bit busted right uh I would it's say like it's, creaking no 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 let's not Didn't it start making a sound no, what? No, 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 no. Z flip sounds? No. I would just categorize it as is is well worn in. You know, like a a, a, a nice pair of shoes that you've uh -oh. kind of gotten some miles into. Creaky shoes. Some no. like real <laughs> creaky, <laughs> falling apart shoes. No, no. <laughs> oh, no, um, come on. So uh, this is uh this one, the model I've got is the 5G that I got about a year ago, actually. I think it was August of, of 2020. So it's about a year old. I would say that the hinge is just a little bit looser than it's been in the mm -hmm. past. Um, so especially when it comes to like having it like half open and like tabletop mode, it's a little easier if you like wobble it. It'll kind of close on itself a little bit faster. It's not quite as is sort of stiff as it used to be, which to be fair, I think all of the flips are kind of when you first get them like pretty much anything with a hinge it kind of at the beginning it's a little bit too stiff and then there was like nine months there where it was pretty much perfect now it's starting to get a little bit on the loose side so i certainly won't complain about a new z flip but uh i'm excited and uh it's still functional just so everyone knows screen's fine no cracks none of that kind of nonsense that people keep talking about on youtube with z flips mine's totally fine i just would like a new one that's better you nintendo switch <laughs> switch pro time right Right, no. Mike? Right? No, it's just Switch OLED. Oh, wait, what? Really? New Nintendo Switch, uh, larger 7-inch OLED screen, improved kickstand, increased internal storage, and some very minor design tweaks. There's also a new dock, and the dock has some cable management, I think an Ethernet port on it as well. Uh, it doesn't have any higher output. Like, it's not doesn't go to 4K or basically anything other than the original. Uh, I personally, like this has been, you know, lots of people, as you can imagine, been really wringing their hands over this one. I'm fine with this, personally. I mean, I think it seems pretty clear that we there will be a Switch Pro at some point. That time is not now. For people that use their Switches in handheld a lot, this seems like a really nice upgrade. Other than that, the kind of, it's just, there isn't really much to it, I think. So. Uh I will definitely say from, I think a lot of the, if, if you listen to a lot of podcasts, watch a lot of videos, everyone who is complaining about this has ulterior motives. We all want to make content around a Switch Pro. And when they don't give us a Switch Pro and they give us the Switch OLED edition, <laughs> it's everyone's like, oh, there goes my great video topic. Oh, there goes my thumbnail. There goes my, my episode. I, I think everyone has a little bit of skin in the game that maybe we don't want to necessarily disclose. But I would say after literally years of hype for a Switch Pro, and then we get a... Uh, it's an upgrade. It's certainly an upgrade, but a very 
it's a, it's a weird upgrade, right? It almost reminds me of some of the stuff they used to do. This is a Nintendo. This is a Nintendo thing. This is such a Nintendo thing. Oh, you wanted this thing that seems so obvious? No, we're not going to give you that. Don't be so silly. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Why would you think we would do that? Like, this is just a Nintendo thing. But you know what? Like, I don't, I'm not mad at them. Like, I've been mad at Nintendo before. I think Nintendo have made really some really stupid decisions in the past, like the Wii U, right? Oh, yeah. Um, but this one, it's kind of like, all right, this is just a, this is, this is more a, like, Switch Slim, quote unquote, kind of revision. Yes. You know? Actually, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Because the Switch hasn't had, like, I know they had the, the red box, but that's kind of nothing, really. Mm-hmm. That's just like they couldn't they couldn't get any more of those batteries or whatever. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> I mean, and it, honestly, from the reports that I read about this beforehand, the main reason they've done this is because I think the screens that they were using, it's becoming too expensive to make them because nobody's making them anymore. It's just Nintendo. I think that might oh. be similar for, for one of the chips as well. I think mm-hmm. NVIDIA were going to make them a... a they were using like an off-the-shelf video chip. Yep. And apparently the that has become problematic because like Nintendo's the only company using it. Yeah. So I yeah. think it, this one, I don't think this one has any changes, but the expectation is the Pro will actually have a, a purpose-made chip. Because as well, Nintendo did not have the buying power mm-hmm. when the Switch came around to get something custom made. Especially with the chip shortage. Yeah. But I'm saying like all the way back when the Switch ex- like first existed. They mm-hmm. didn't have the like, hey, look how many we're going to sell. Right. Because right. Nintendo were actually on, they were like down in the dumps a little bit after the Wii U. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, so they ended up using something that was pretty, uh, I think it's one of the Tegra processes, Tegra I think. X1, I believe. Yeah. And so that, you know, which is weird because, you know, like all of the other companies, they get custom stuff. And I think that's what they'll end up going with with the Pro. But I think the one of the reasons that they've done this is the older screen is just better for them to put into this thing. They've made some quality of life improvements that I appreciate, like the kickstand. Like, yeah. the kickstand on the Switch, the original, almost pointless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love this new kickstand. It's like a Surface-style kickstand, like the whole way across. And it actually opens to different levels. It's not just like yep. open or closed. You can kind of adjust it up and down. You can adjust it. So, look, this is, I think, a very good like mid-cycle revision for this product. I don't have hate for it, because I'm trying to be logical with this. Mm-hmm. The, they can't make enough of these things. Yes. It's like it's like me getting upset. I think if I was to get upset at PlayStation for like, oh, why don't you make a black PS5? It's like, well, because <laughs> they can't make enough white ones. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it kind of feels like that to me. Like, I would love to be able to, to have a more powerful Switch, especially because I play most of my Switch games in docked mode, right? So I would love yeah. a, a, like a 4K switch. But I'm also, I've been a Nintendo fan for long enough to lower my expectations for the decisions that they make and when they make them. I believe a 4K switch is coming. I reckon it's in 2022. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just seems like it's a little bit of a strange choice, but it doesn't really, I don't think anyone should be upset because you're not really losing anything. It's just an additional upgrade. I was actually surprised they're still selling their standard Switch for $300 and the Switch Pro is a $350 option above that, which to me, it's I like- I think that's probably a while supplies last kind of thing. Yeah, honestly. that would make more sense because it seems yeah. like 
for $50 more, obviously you're not getting, you know, more power if you're get, buying it in dock mode or anything like that. But like, it is, like you said, like a, like a slim style upgrade where it's not more performance, but you know, you look at the PS4 to PS4 slim transition, you know, it was smaller. They had like little features, but it still was mostly the same console. And I think that's very much what they've done here. The screen is a nice improvement, but, um, I wouldn't mind a, a, a Switch Pro. I wouldn't mind making some videos on a Switch Pro. I'm just saying, Nintendo, uh, just think of think of us. Think of the creators who need the views and need a better title for the videos than Switch Pro instead of Nintendo Switch OLED Edition. That just it doesn't really roll off the tongue. It's quite a great so Nintendo well. name too, man. Like <laughs> I want to call it they, Super Nintendo Switch. Nintendo go in two directions for names. They either pick something that doesn't make any sense, <laughs> right, or incredibly descriptive in a way that is also <laughs> a little bit overboard. I love Nintendo. They just do what they do. Can we pour pour one out for all of the oh, <laughs> handheld God. Surface products introduced uh. by friend of the podcast, Panos Panay? Oh, we can call I think him we a can friend call now. Him that now. Oh, look at that. I want to say, by the way, I just wanted to thank all the Test Drivers listeners for all of the really great comments that we got about our last episode. Like, Absolutely. It took a lot of work from everybody to get that out uh including like austin did an incredible amount of work to get the video version together can so i want to thank you quick? in public can we tell that yes. story really i quick? mean if you i don't i mean yeah, <laughs> if you wanna i don't know if we okay. should but. so uh it's okay it'll be it'll be brief so uh right. for those of you uh who did not listen to the last episode uh it was largely an interview with panos panay who of course is not only the head of surface and devices at microsoft but also now of windows right so it was incredibly mm -hmm. exciting we knew ahead of time that we were going to be able to talk with him on the launch of Windows 11. Like, we literally talked to them like two hours after he got done with the presentation. Like, it was, it was very cool. But what we didn't have is um, maybe, let's say, the most reliable of recording solutions to, to chat with him. So we had a number of issues, uh, mostly that we didn't have any good audio. So if you listen to the last episode and it sounds a little bit odd, uh, we were on our third backup recording there, which was the recording well, of the Teams call. It, it was all that a certain part right like it was like oh dude, for some oh that was more the video right like I, I would like to thank microsoft teams for having a uh inbuilt audio recording yes. function oh my god <laughs> so uh, for reference we recorded not only uh the audio you know for for the episode but we also recorded a video version for our test drivers youtube channel which if you're not aware we actually post all of our episodes on youtube as well typically they're just the audio version the same as you yep. get in the podcast feed but for this we actually did a video so what we did was we, you know, Mike and I were on camera and Pandos also had a camera. The problem is, is that about halfway through the recording, his camera, I think, overheated, shut off something. I'm not totally clear on what happened. And so we lost the feed, which also meant that the audio was all lost at the same time. So we went down to the only backup we had, which was a mixed recording of all of our voices in the Teams call. And that was the only version of the audio that survived. Uh, so shout out to Jem uh, for uh -huh. masterfully editing. Uh, wonderful editor. Uh, yep. <laughs> did a great job with the, the uh, audio version. And Austin did a wonderful job with the video version. I apologize if you've seen the back half of that video. The only video feed I had was about a 144p crop of the corner of the screen with Hannah's face. <laughs> I, remember, I was I was like slacking you because like that what it was it was it a was, crop it was a crop oh my of the god corner. I didn't know that 
Dude, I was so like, this is like, I don't know. We recorded the day of, uh, we got all the footage, like, I think it got like 11 o'clock at night or whatever. So I'm like in Final Cut. I'm trying to put the video together so we can go live the next morning. And I remember like slacking you. Like I kept writing Slack messages to you as I realized how completely and totally screwed we were. And like, it I was kind stop. of funny to wake up and just be able to read Austin's like <laughs> devolving into madness. Oh my God. <laughs> there were like, three different points and I was trying to put that together I'm like I don't think we have an episode I think this is just not going to work and I just kept digging and digging and trying to sync stuff and then finally when I got the team's audio to actually work I was able to like crop a little video I'm like okay I think we can post this it's really late I'm just gonna just send it to Mike and hopefully he can watch it with fresh eyes and it's fine but I was I was so depressed as like the levels of like how screwed we were just kept being more and more it was such a big deal to have Panos on the show man and yep. I was just like <laughs> well, you made you made it work. You made it work. Uh, well, thank you. Well, I think it was definitely a team effort on that one. But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Now that we've told the story, uh, now let's maybe tell the the sad start part of this, which is uh, where the devices are right now. Which is um, mm, mm. the Surface Duo uh, was on fire sale at Whoop. <laughs> Basically, they were selling them for one thousand dollars <laughs> off, so you could pick up oh. a, a Surface Duo for four hundred nine dollars. I would just state for the record that I'm pleased that Woot was not doing this deal in the UK because otherwise I would now own one. Uh, there's no way I would have been able to resist a $1,000 discount. I just wouldn't have been able to do it. Like It's like how I have an essential phone. You know, like it's mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. these things, they just happen to you. Um, and then Intel has discontinued a series of processes called Lakefield. These were the processes that were supposed to be in the Surface Neo, so the version that ran Windows. I mean, that was clearly, I think, not going to happen anyway, at least not the way that it was announced. But mm -hmm. it's just like another thing that's just not great for the potential future <sighs> of Surface Neo. And yeah. which eagle-eared listeners of this show who listened to our last episode will hear the point where I'm trying to get panelists to talk about the Surface <laughs> Neo when I mentioned... <laughs> <laughs> when I mentioned Windows X, uh, that was like a thing. Me and you, because we were obviously me and Austin were like in in advance, like working out what questions we wanted to ask. And I was kind of like, "Can I ask? <laughs> Do you think I can ask you about <laughs> Windows 10X and see if you'll say anything?" And I was surprised he he gave an answer, right? Like he he didn't like we spoke about it. I mean, I didn't get the answer that I wanted, which was, "Can you give me some information uh, about the?" about the Neo, but I also you, wouldn't ask it because it would be a waste of time. I was about to say, you, what an investigative journalist. You're trying to get our buddy Panos in trouble over, mm -hmm. he's going to be getting calls from his PR team. Like, what What did you say to Mike? What did you say to Mike? So such is on the phone and he's like, why, why are you talking to these two <laughs> morons? <laughs> they the can't even record duo. a podcast right. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear alright there's a couple of events you can put on your calendar which we'll probably uh, talk about well we'll definitely be talking about them later on uh, in the month uh, the OnePlus Nord 2 5G is coming out on July 22nd their tagline for this event or at least they're showing it off the tagline for this event is uh, they have the words pretty much which are then crossed out and then it says everything you could ask for so, so I think the idea being that the original Nord is pretty much everything you would want out of a phone, but it was cheaper. And I guess what OnePlus are trying to say is the Nord 2 will be... Uh, I mean, what they're trying to say is this is a flagship killer without saying that. Like, that's that's what they're going for. 
And I find this particularly interesting. It was a really good Dave 2D video a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you saw this about mm. kind of OnePlus and where they are right now. And I found it kind of interesting to, you know, like the, the video, very great. It's called OnePlus Sucks Now. It's also, as always, a beautiful thumbnail. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dave just does the best thumbnails. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to have to say this to you because you, obviously you're really great at thumbnails. No. But He's there is like level. a thing that Dave2D can do with thumbnails that nobody else can get away with. I'm sure it frustrates you no end. <laughs> He's got that clean aesthetic on that one. Like they yeah. always just pop. And, and he doesn't, you know, the, I feel like he... There's just something about his thumbnails that work in a way that breaks the conventions of what quote unquote you should do, right? Mm-hmm. For for each of them. But anyway, um, so it's kind of this idea that people are upset at OnePlus now because they were always like the uh flagship killer, and then over time their products just got more and more expensive. And that's a thing I think we might touch on that in a minute. But something I found interesting about that is like now the Nord is kind of picking up that branding. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. It, so to me, I've had almost like a roller coaster of emotions on this. In fact, actually, this is a video that is like in some like state of purgatory because I keep working on it because it's actually something I want to talk about is OnePlus and where they're at. But then I work on it. I write it. I'm like, oh, I think I'm being too harsh. And I'll like leave it away and I'll come back to it. I'm like, no, actually, I want to talk about it. Like, I'm really going back and forth on whether it's something that I really want to make a, a whole video on. But I think it's definitely something I want to talk about here because OnePlus is in a very strange place. So uh, the gist of it is after many years of them being like, we're independent, we do our own thing, they're essentially being folded into the larger Oppo brand, right? Which, if Test Drivers listeners are not familiar, BBK Electronics is like kind of like the conglomerate that owns a ton of brands, including Oppo, there's Realme, there's Vivo, as well as OnePlus, right? Which OnePlus has kind of always had that like never settle, weird kind of renegade kind of spirit. But there's always been kind of some confusion on what actually was going on behind the scenes. And now it is very clear that they are essentially a sub-brand of Oppo. Yeah, they are not a standalone thing. Like for a while, OnePlus, I think, preferred you not to know that they yes. were part of a larger brand. Yep. But now, now that seems to have been taken away from them mm-hmm. in a way that I find intriguing because you look at the fact that, I mean, we're going to talk about nothing in a minute, but Carl Pei kind of left the company yep. in a way that was quite a shock. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is why. No, it absolutely is. So there were some leaked memos. Essentially... Oh, was it? I haven't seen this. Yes, yes. So essentially... Essentially nothing. Oh, God. I'm going to go way deep in all these names. So here it goes. (laughs) Buckle up, everyone. It's pun time. So the way I understand it, last year, I think this decision was made. And I think that's when Carl left. And I also think that's when the merger really began. Because since the very beginning... There have been a lot of similarities and crossover between Oppo and OnePlus phones, right? The OnePlus One was very similar to, I think it's the Oppo, I don't even remember what it was, but it was very similar. And you can go through, Android Authority did an excellent write-up on this, actually a few years ago, kind of just trying to find out what really was going on behind the scenes and why some OnePlus phones look so much like Oppo phones. But at this point, it's pretty much out in the clear. So Oppo is essentially absorbing OnePlus as a sub-brand. We are going to see Oxygen OS is being folded into Oppo's Color OS, which is not necessarily a terrible thing. They still will exist sort of as their own kind of looks and whatnot. But the base 
sort of code is going to be the same between OnePlus and Oppo phones, which to be fair, I believe in China, the OnePlus has already ran ColorOS anyway. So it's not like some massive shock. But I think for a lot of markets, well, pretty much all of the markets, uh, it's going to start kind of maybe feeling and potentially even looking a little different. And there's also a whole lot of conversation about the actual development of these phones because it seems like while there were some shared features before, it's going to be very heavily sort of shared now to the point where it's not really super clear on what is going to make OnePlus unique besides the fact that it's just a different brand and that they have, you know, actual market share in the U.S. unlike any of Oppo's other brands. So it's it's weird. There's some good stuff here. They're announcing that they're going to be giving software updates for longer on OnePlus phones. I believe it's on the mainline phones. It's three years of major updates and four years of security updates, which is great. I think it's like two years of, re- of, of regular Android updates and three years of security updates on Nord phones, I believe, or some of the higher-end Nords. So there are some advantages here. But basically, there's no real question that Oppo is sort of absorbing OnePlus and whatever little bit of kind of... Uh, I guess, independence they had is quickly being sort of taken away. And I think that's why nothing is existing, really, because I think Carl seems to have pieced out, made his own thing, right as all this stuff was kind of happening. Because in that leaked memo, they basically kind of said that the device and, like, the engineering side, they already started merging those two between Oppo and OnePlus late last year. So this has certainly been going on for uh, at least six to nine months at this point. It feels like maybe... They just didn't have a job that he wanted anymore, you know, like available. It's like, well, you know, if he was leading a lot of product stuff, it's like, well, you're actually taking those decisions away from you now. Yeah. So now we have nothing, uh, which are going to be showing off their earbuds, the ear bracket one bracket (laughs) on July 27th. Bracket, bracket. Not really sure how to, yeah, what are you, parentheses, right? Man, your guess is as good as mine on this one. I, I feel like, I mean, it's the same thing actually with the Switch, right? If you call it, it's the Nintendo Switch bracket OLED model close bracket, right? I, 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 people are Probably. getting too complicated with this. These look we'll cool, though. Ear one. I mean, if this is what they look like, we've only ever seen this one image of the, like, the, what Pokemon does this look like? Oh, You know, it's like God. the Pokemon where they spell out the alphabet. Unknown? Unknown, yeah. It reminds me of an unknown. Because oh, they have like the okay. big eye. You know? uh, yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, the yeah, unknown eye. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's a lot going for these, at least on paper, although this is clearly a very saturated market. So they do have noise cancellation. Um, according to nothing, they're similar in features to the AirPods Pro, except that they're $99 instead of $250, which, I mean, let's be real, AirPods Pro don't really cost $250 anymore. And there are many many, many other headphones that not only have active noise cancellation, but cost a lot less, including yeah, stuff like... Feature, similar in feature doesn't mean anything. It doesn't. It doesn't. Like, congratulations, no. ANC is great, but $99 is a good price, but it's not like blowing everyone away is the first time it's under 200 bucks or anything. Well, also, like, you can say you have the feature and you can have the feature, but it doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean you've, you've implemented it well, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I mean, the design on its own could sell these things just because they look really cool and they're, yeah. they're going in a route that nobody else is really going at in this space. And they've got some hype about them, right? Like, it's interesting that they're giving details away now. Like like that, they, they, this is an interview with TechCrunch where they said they will have uh, active noise cancellation, great build quality, $99. 
Um, and also it gave some detail as well, which is good. I could read this quote. Before we were called nothing, essential was one of the names we were brainstorming internally. That's why we've acquired the trademark. We don't have any plans to do anything of essential. Because if you remember, nothing bought the rights to the essential brand. But that's smart. They like, they like the brand. Let's just keep it, yeah. right? It's yeah. up for sale. We'll buy it. It's assets that we now own. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there also is uh, Unbox Therapy posted a like a video, like an ad thing. They they it seems like they're going to be having some kind of exclusive. I haven't yeah. seen any other YouTubers post anything like this, so it seems like something's going on here too. Yeah, July 27th definitely seems like the day where this is all going to be announced, and I think Lou is doing like an, a, a giveaway or something. I'm really curious. I will say, especially I feel like the last six months, there have been a lot of excellent headphones in the space. Now the Galaxy Buds Pro, we've got the Beats Studio Buds, the Sony WF-1000X Mark IVs, uh, there have been a lot of great headphones that have been kind of cycling in and out, and uh, all of them are more expensive than $99, sure. But, I mean, even you look at like Beat Studio Buds, they have ANC, they have a lot of these same features at $150. So it's not, like, outside the realm of possibility that these things might be, like, a decent value. But I will say, I mean, look, Teenage Engineering makes absolutely incredible-looking products. From what we've seen of the unknown-looking uh, <laughs> photo of the uh, of the ear ones, they look the nice. The unknown nothing. <laughs> the unknown nothing, essentially. Oh, it's God. essentially nothing unknown. Exactly. Uh, how mm-hmm. could that not be a clear and easy to understand Perfect. sentence? We've got it. I'm excited to see these things, though. I, you know, I, 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 I'm intrigued. I, we remain intrigued. But you mentioned um, the studio buds. Yeah, I keep hearing you mention these in your videos. And it seems like you've you're using them all the time. Is that right? Are these like your headphones now? Your earphones, earbuds? What earbuds? We'll go with that. Ear ear earphone buds. Yes, earphone um, buds. So, yes, essentially. Although, oh god, oh god, I can't say that anymore. Uh, <laughs> oh no. Um, yes, I've been using the Beat Studio buds. Uh, I also have uh, been using the Sony those WF one thousand X Mark IVs. Uh, they're both great, right? And they've really replaced the AirPods and the uh, the Galaxy Buds Pro in my life. Um, mostly because the Beat Studio Buds are good, right? So they sound really solid, especially for 150 bucks. I think they sound significantly better than AirPods Pro. I, I like the the fact that they're comfortable, and I think this is something that the more sort of like wireless Bluetooth headphones I try, the more that the lightweight and the comfortability matters a lot because those Sonys that I like, the 1000X Mark IVs, they sound terrific. They have a lot of great features, amazing noise cancellation, like it blows away pretty much everything else. Uh, but the problem is, is that they have foam ear tips, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It certainly helps for sound and seal and whatnot. Um, but that combined with the fact that they're just big and chunky means that I like to use them, but more than 45 minutes to an hour, even with the smaller tips, which are fit as pretty much as perfectly as I can get them still gets a little uncomfortable. Whereas I can very easily use the Beat Studio Buds all day long, no question. The thing is though with the Studio Buds, they have some kind of interesting uh, quirks in features, some might say. Um, so one of which is the case. Um, so here, I'm gonna see if you can hear this. Just just listen to this. Can you hear that? That's the top of the case flexing in my hand. It's, oh. It's, the build is not great. It's like kind of almost like a, a pill shape. And the problem is, is that the entire, like maybe top quarter of it opens up and flips open. And the problem is, is that the hinge is not strong enough. It's very small in the back. So like when you go pick it up, there's just like a lot of like wiggling that is possible. So it, they don't really feel amazing. I also wish they had wireless charging, which is not the end of the world since they do have USB-C. Um, but the thing that's sort of 
the, the thing that kind of sends me back to the Sonys is the fact that even though these do, you know, pair with your iOS devices and pair with your Android devices and whatnot pretty well, it's not the same as something like a pair of AirPods, which will super seamlessly jump, right? So there's no W1 chip. It's got some more generic chipset, which I think is mostly because they wanted to have the Google Swift pair and the Microsoft. I think it actually has Microsoft uh, pairing. Don't don't uh, don't quote me on that. But it's got like you know the features where you can tie it to not only your device but also your account. But the problem is I've actually had pretty significant issues with these moving between devices. And the device I have the most problems with is the Mac. I actually have pretty regular issues with the Beats Studio Buds, connecting it to a M1 MacBook in a way that I don't have with the Sonys or AirPods or anything else. It will disconnect randomly. It will mm. always, and the other thing that drives me crazy, I am very often using one earbud, right? I don't usually right. put both in. I usually have one in, I'm listening to music, podcasts, whatever, I'm doing something else. Every time I put a single Beats Studio Bud in my ear, it defaults to transparency mode. Doesn't matter what I do, it's always in transparency mode. The only way to get that to stop and go to standard, just no ANC mode, is to open up the app and to turn it off manually. Because you can tap and hold, but your only options when you do that are transparency or ANC, and I want neither of those when I have one earbud in. So it's just like some, some small annoyances that kind of irritate me with the studio buds. That being said, though, for 150 bucks, they are solid, they are comfortable, battery life is good. Um, just for me, though, I've been leaning a little bit more toward the Sonys because even though they're not quite as comfortable, mm. they sound terrific. I they keep have hearing that they're great. So good, man. I, if they were a touch lighter and a touch more comfortable, it wouldn't they be a question. They look really uncomfortable. They look so large. <sighs> yes, they are. I, I don't know what the weights are. And maybe that's the thing I should start doing when I take a look at Bluetooth headphones. It's actually just weighing the individual earbuds because I do mm -hmm. notice it makes a big difference. Even going back to like the Galaxy Buds Pro, I like those headphones a lot, but the weight of them means that even though I've got a pretty good seal in my ears, if I'm running or doing anything sort of strenuous, they kind of work their way out just with the sheer weight of them. The Sonys are like so tight in my ears with those foam ear tips that they don't really fall out. But because of that, they're just, you know, my ears just get itchy and sort of hot and uncomfortable. So if those Sonys were a little bit smaller and lighter and more comfortable, it wouldn't even be a question. The main reason I like the Beat Studio Buds is that they're super comfortable to use for long periods, but they're enough little quirks and, and weirdnesses where even on like Apple devices, it doesn't, it feels really half-baked in a way that I would not expect Sony earbuds to seamlessly pair between Apple and Android and all these other devices. And studio buds can hardly even pair with my Apple devices, which is strange. This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by Tech Talk, a podcast from the folks at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Tech Talk is the show that talks through HPE news, tech insights, and world-class innovations. I checked out an episode that was talking about something called Project Aurora. This is a new initiative focusing on edge to cloud. This is all about making sure that software and services that we use have the best levels of security, which is something that's becoming more and more important in our current world. And I learned a bunch of stuff. And this is one of the great things that I love about finding new podcasts, especially about topics that might be new to me or things that I might be kind of like, oh, I think I might be interested in that. You can get these wonderful insights and little pieces of information and a great understanding of stuff that you might not 
not have otherwise known anything about. You could check it out yourself too and you can expect tons of great topics like how cloud data experiences are changing in the modern world, how to harness the power of 5G to offer better experiences, or even stuff like how Walt Disney Studios is experimenting with AI and machine learning to help creative people with their filmmaking processes. The show takes you straight to the source interviewing some seriously impressive tech leaders like Dr. Michael Roberts from ISS's U.S. National Lab, Sanjeev Kadwar is the CTO of Tottenham Hotspur FC, and Monica Livingston from Intel. Check out Tech Talk wherever you get your podcasts. Just go search for Tech Talk right now or click the link in the show notes. Our thanks to HPE Tech Talk for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, Windows 11. Oh boy. Have you spent any time with it? Yes. So, in keeping with my long-held tradition of not installing developer previews or betas of any kind on my daily devices, I've only kind of poked at it. I have not actually put it on a main machine and lived with it. So a grain of salt alert. But of course, I mean, this is Mm -hmm. something which is probably, what, three, four months out from actually shipping. So early days. Um, But I have used it, and I actually do like it a lot. So there's one big thing I think we need to talk about. But before we get to the uh, the big thing to talk about, uh, there's a lot of really nice quality of life improvements in Windows 11. First and foremost, I really do like a lot of what they've done with not only, I would say like UI, but like really broadly. Like there's a lot of nice things that they've done under the hood. So not only are animations great and the visual look of Windows 11 is great, but they've done a lot of things like, you know, uh, if you've ever gone between on like a game and you're tabbing between like, full screen and windowed and full screen windowed mode. And then especially if you have like a device that has like an accelerometer, you need to like rotate or change resolution. It always kind of blinks your screen out and changes it and everything. Well, in Windows 11, this is now much smoother. So it's much faster at switching between resolutions. It doesn't really blank out your screen always. I think a lot of the resolution switching is now being done sort of internally to Windows as opposed to just changing the actual output to your monitor and having it kind of like reset. There are a lot of things that I think do make a a nice difference and make Windows 11 feel really well, like, thought through. I mean, stuff like mm-hmm. they have these new emojis, which look great. They also just have so many little details. I think that's what I really appreciate. Just the more time you spend with Windows 11. It's not just like a scan. It's not like they just kind of centered the taskbar, gave you a different kind of color window and called it a day. There are a lot of nice little details, not only in the graphics, but just in the way they've rebuilt, like, the setting screens and, and various things. Like, don't get me wrong. There's still a lot of legacy old windows in there, right? But... I think Windows 11 is a pretty large step toward getting rid of a lot of the old ancient Windows XP and Vista looking menus and whatnot and sort of giving it a much more cohesive overall look without going all the way to Windows 8 and kind of, you know, completely trying to sort of bifurcate what the experience actually is to use a Windows device. It doesn't look like it's made by a different company as such. Like it looks like it's made by Microsoft and they've just cleaned up the design and a bunch, you know, like, and made the, like, Windows 8 may as well have been made by a different company. Yes. It looked so different, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, like, to me, uh, there's a lot of good stuff here, right? And also, I do think the fact that it's free, I mean, it's not really a surprise, but it's, that's great. Um, it makes sense that they dropped some support for some of the older legacy systems, right? So, uh, the system requirements mean that you can't do 32 bit windows anymore, which, Last I checked on, like, Steam, there was, like, 1% of people using 32-bit Windows. So, like, I don't think that's a huge problem. Um, okay, so we got to talk about compatibility, but really quick. This Mike, is the you... thing. I was like, is he uh, saying it's the... Okay, uh, all right. Because this is the big thing. Because this is... 
this is the frustrating thing that happens sometimes. And we spoke a bit about behind the scenes in this episode, so we'll do a little bit more. When you record the show super fast, right? Mm-hmm. Like we did. So, you know, like we we recorded our episode uh, basically as soon as we could after the announcement. There are things that will come out after t- after that time and we can't speak to them because the episode's done, right? Right. And compatibility was one of them because they didn't really say anything in the event about compatibility. And it's also a thing with Microsoft. You kind of think like, well, why would they? We know what the story is. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that actually this is one of, I think really this has been the story that has dominated the coverage of Windows 11 from release <sighs> up until now and continuing yep. because Microsoft is doing something that Microsoft doesn't do, which is they're kind of requiring modern-ish hardware for yeah. this, which is a thing that they, I don't know if they've ever done this. Not really. So traditionally, Windows has a long history of really wide support. Even you go back to the early Windows days or even, I mean, like Windows XP and, and 98 and everything. I mean, the last time that there was a major new version of Windows that had real difficulty running on older hardware was Vista, which, uh, look, we could talk Vista all the time, and I'm really happy I got yet another mention of Vista in the podcast. I'm just going to throw that out there. But uh, at least there were some reasons for that, right? Like, Vista was a little bit bloated, clearly had a very troubled development, but there were a lot of new things in it. It was a major step forward. And it made sense that there were higher system requirements just to handle it, right? I mean, you could put Vista on very low-end systems, but it didn't run well, right? They even had, like, the Vista, like, home basic editions and a bunch of stuff that removed, like, the Arrow interface, et cetera, et cetera. Like, there were reasons why Vista had problems running on older hardware. Not a huge surprise, kind of made sense, and they sort of were able to clean that up in, like, 7 and 8 as they kind of went along. Uh, Windows 11 has a very strict amount of devices that it can land on. However, not for performance. So we did a video on this recently um, because after the announcement, we started seeing some of the requirements that were needed. Like if you look at the the spec list, right? They give you like all the things you need. One gigahertz dual core processor, easy. Literally any system in the last, you know, decade plus should have that. Four gigs of RAM, totally reasonable. 64 gigs of storage, no problem. And then you see this little thing called a TPM 2.0 chip required. Now, a TPM is a trusted platform module chip. Essentially, it's a little security chip. It's not the same thing, but I would say it's in the same category as something like a a secure enclave on like a lot of Apple A and M series SOCs. This is something that's in pretty much any modern chip slash motherboard. It depends on your system. Sometimes you have it integrated directly into your CPU. Sometimes it's on the motherboard or sometimes it's on your CPU and you need it to be enabled the motherboard, which gets a little complicated by itself. Your but boy this has is... spent some time in the BIOS. Oh, wait. Did you install Windows 11 already? No, I installed the uh, compatibility checker thing. Mm, oh, yes. I just wanted to see, right? I was like, oh, of course my PC will be fine. Like I just built it and it's built for modern components. And it was like, no, it's not going to work. I'm like, <laughs> oh, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. And then I, I kind of went down the rabbit hole a little bit and worked out that I needed to uh, like change a setting in my BIOS for the TPM thing, mm-hmm. which I did. And then I ran it again and it was fine. But that, that I, I spent a little, about half an hour dealing with that a couple of days oh, ago. And that's a great example of someone, you have a brand new PC, right? I mean, like this thing is full of the literally cutting edge components. And your first experience was, nope, not compatible with the new version of Windows. 
And you're lucky because, yeah, you were able to go jump in that bias, right? And some people can, right? I mean, the thing didn't tell me. It just said, like, no, this isn't, this isn't going to work. Like, it, it didn't give me a lot of detail. Like, it referenced TPM, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like, you know, this is something that's going to get cleared up because companies that make the hardware that I have will have to deal with it, right? Like yeah. Asus and AMD, these companies, you know, they're going to have to explain and find ways, I guess, to work with Microsoft to explain to their customers how to enable this stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's one side of it where you, if you have a modern system, you should be able to, in most cases, if you have any problems, hop into the BIOS, turn on either the TPM or some motherboards call it different things and whatnot. Complicated, a problem, not the end of the world. The issue is that not only do you need a TPM 2.0 chip, which is not everywhere, right? You also need a compatible CPU. So to make things further complicated, while these TPM chips are typically built into your CPU or your motherboard, you can buy a third-party one and you can just plug it into a lot of systems. But even if you do that, if your CPU isn't on the whitelist, it also will not work. There are workarounds to make this happen. There will likely be some hacks and mods and stuff that you can do, but out of the box, Windows 11 will just say, nope, sorry, not compatible. You can't do this install. Right now, they have, I believe, relaxed the CPU restrictions, but they have been very clear that they plan on enforcing that for the final version of Windows 11. Yeah, it's causing some confusion. Like, so, you know, something that I like to do every now and then is I see somebody tweeting something and I just go into the replies and see, like, what do people think and what are they saying? You know, I've been seeing some people talking about the fact that, you know, like Windows 11 is going to cut out a bunch of uh, people. And then I see people saying, no, no, it works fine. It's like, no, no, it doesn't. No. The insider build works on hardware that the, the released 11 will not work on. Yes. And the current limit. So I said, you know, before the system requirements, dual core one gigahertz processor, blah, blah. But that doesn't actually really matter because the real system requirement is just you have to have your CPU on a whitelist, right? And they have the whitelist poster right now. And to be fair to Microsoft, they have been pretty clear that this is going to expand. They plan on trying to stretch it out. They've even a couple of CPUs they want to expand it to. But they are cutting off a vast majority of Windows devices to go to 11, right? So as of right now, to run Windows 11, the whitelisted CPUs would be Intel 8th generation or newer, AMD Zen 2 or newer, and Qualcomm 7 and 8 series chips. And they want to identify, quote-unquote, 7th generation Intel devices and AMD Zen 1 devices that may meet their principles. Now, that at first was like, oh, you know, a couple-year-old system. But just think about that for a second. Right now on Windows 10, you can run that on like a Pentium 4 from the year 2000, right? You have massive support. Windows 10 runs basically on everything that ran on Windows 8, which runs on everything that ran on Windows 7, which pretty much runs everything that ran on Vista, right? So we have essentially 20 years of support on Windows 10 right now. Now, to be fair, it might not be good. You shouldn't really run it on a 20-year-old Pentium 4, but Windows 10 is super, super widely available to run. But they are essentially artificially whitelisting only certain CPUs on security grounds. Now, there's some reason for that. I'm sure that, you know, they did mention that, you know, having the TPM module and these more modern chips helps cut down on like malware and and a bunch of things like that, which is great. That is great. But the problem is, is that in doing that and setting such a ridiculously restrictive minimum spec, you're leaving behind people who have, oh, I don't know, a three-year-old PC, right? I mean, talking about seventh gen Intel or maybe even not first gen Ryzen. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's so 
so recent. And I think the problem here is that if they really stick to these requirements, most people aren't gonna upgrade, right? You're gonna have a large, large chunk of Windows 10 users who just simply will not be able to upgrade to Windows 11 without hacking or going through a bunch of hoops and, and whatnot. And they're gonna stick on Windows 10. And guess what? Windows 10 is only going to be supported until 2025. So you're only gonna get a few more years of updates and that's it. So, I'm, man, it's uh. Here's my hot take. Hit me. I think this is fine. Whoa! I'm sorry. Whoa! I know, I know Whoa! people are used to a certain thing. But at a, at a point, you have to start drawing a line. Like, Microsoft are held back by how much stuff they have to continually support. Mm -hmm. As long as they don't make this a habit that like every version of Windows only supports hardware made in the last two years or whatever. Yeah. Like, I think it's fine. Like, if now they draw a line here so then going forward they can support stuff for longer, I think that's okay. And also, when, how long have Windows 10 you got support for? Uh, 2025. That's like, okay. <sighs> okay. Yes, I, I do hear you. And I do think it's easy to just forget about the idea that for every person out there who's running a Pentium 4 processor, probably means that some poor schmuck who works at Microsoft has to have some old Pentium 4 system in the back to double check every build of Windows to make sure it works on it, right? I get that, that's a huge expense. My problem about this is that this has nothing to do with the compatibility and the performance, right? This is all about the idea that you need that sort of authenticated security experience because you can run on that, you know, I said the one gigahertz dual core processor. So in the video I did, I grabbed the lowest end system that is technically capable of running Windows 11. It was an HP stream with the most bargain basement, terrible Celeron processor, which would be outperformed by the vast majority of systems that are even 10 years old, right? Something that would easily be able to run Windows, in theory, is being blocked out right now. That HP stream was able to run Windows 11 fine. I don't think there's any reason to believe that Windows 11 is significantly more difficult to run than Windows 10, right? The UI and all this kind of stuff, it is not about the performance. My main sort of argument is that, sure, I get it. I get it. You want to have better security. You want to have all this stuff. Great. Make it a highly recommended option. But give me a little checkbox saying, you know what? I acknowledge that my security will be less. Because think about the alternative. People are just going to stick on Windows 10 and they're not going to be any, secure, yeah. any more secure no, that's anyway. that's fair. I mean, what I'll say is, okay, so... I may have overstated my point. More what I'm getting at is just like, I believe in this idea of like not carrying stuff over forever and ever. Mm -hmm. And my hope is that there is more to it than Microsoft just being able to verify that you have a correct version of Windows. You know what I mean? Like, <sighs> yeah. And, uh, that's, and so maybe I'm being a bit hopeful, but basically my point is just like, I, I don't think that we can, I don't think it's, it's, fair to assume that a piece of hardware that you buy will be supported forever. I don't think that that is something that we should just assume. But also at the same point, like, I mean, you could keep using that Windows 10 machine for as long as you want. Okay, let me, let me hit you with an alternative point. All right. Imagine you bought an iPhone 10s, and mm -hmm. Apple says that we're not going to give you an update this year because we want to make sure that security on the iPhone 11 on up is what we really want to focus on. If you buy a Windows device for pretty much the last several decades, you expect a very long lifespan on that. And sure, 
you know, they're going to continue to do security updates on Windows 10, just like they continue to do occasional, Apple does occasional security updates and like, you know, old outdated versions of iOS when a major bug comes up. But that's kind of been the assumption when you purchase these devices. And if you bought a laptop two, three years ago, and surprise, yeah. surprise, you know, the end of life date is coming up quickly. That's ah, that's a tough one to swallow, man. That is a tough one to to swallow. No, I get it. I get it. This is com- it's so complicated, right? Like, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I'm struggling with it. I, it's just one of those things where I'm kind of like, I've got to assume that there's a decent reason, and a, I just, I just think it's as simple as this. Highly recommend. TPM 2.0. You try to install Windows 11 on an older system. Go, hey, you know what? This is not as secure. We really recommend you upgrade, blah, blah, blah. Let me download a custom version of Windows 11, which is specifically designed. It's the non-security edition. I don't care. Whatever. Let me have the option of upgrading my system. Like, I think that's all we want because all this is going to do is going to mean that a lot of people will not upgrade to Windows 11 because they simply can't. Or you're going to have a lot of people who are going and finding cracked versions of Windows 11 that have the TPM 2.0 support stripped out. Or it's a tough one for me to swallow. I get from a corporate enterprise standpoint, they want to ensure a high level of security. I am all for that, right? But it's like, this is a new feature. TPM 2.0 have only been really shipping in systems for a few years now. And especially with these CPUs that have it built in and whatnot. I mean, it's, it's you know, you're talking like 8th gen, 7th gen Intel. I mean, that's just a couple of years ago, right? Give me the option to install it. Because if Microsoft doesn't give people the option, they're not going to upgrade to Windows 11. And everyone's just going to try to find a way uh, around it. Which I'm sure, I mean, right now in the current build of Windows 11, people have already figured out a workaround. It's not a particularly easy workaround. And who knows if they patch it. But there are workarounds that are very hacky that you can sort of strip that TPM support out and just load it up into your system, right? Like that is the thing you can do right now. I just think it's crazy to not give, even if, okay, think about like this, right? Think about they have like Windows 11 basic version and it doesn't have TPM 2.0 as a requirement, right? If you have Pro, you know, that that's the only version that, you know, has to have TPM or something. But I think if they don't give some kind of option on this, this is going to blow up in their faces big time. And I'm sure it was a great idea in theory, but it's just too big of a step too quick. If you make this decision and you enforce this in three years for Windows 12 or something, okay, that's more understandable. But you just can't drop support for two and three-year-old systems or even four-year-old systems whatever that's just i think it's way too much yeah okay i think i think you might be changing my mind a bit here i think the point that i'm trying to get to is microsoft i think carry stuff on for too long sure sure and i think that they need to start drawing lines in the sand more but maybe the arbitrary line they've drawn this time might be too <laughs> soon. But there, I think that there needs to be a middle ground because I think Windows is held back by the amount of legacy stuff that they have to support. Oh, absolutely. And if they yeah. were to embrace refreshing things on a more frequent sh- schedule, maybe it would be more compelling in certain areas in a way that I find macOS to be more compelling. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think maybe the the reasoning that they've chosen seems a bit iffy this time. I I think I would also be like also a little frustrated if they just don't do this now because it was like, so what was the point in the first place? I mean, you know what I mean? Like I feel like we're in a no win situation here. Like <laughs> if they backtrack, then why did they do it in the first place? You know what I mean? I that we're in we are now in a no win type of situation i think yeah for, for yeah. microsoft it's it's tough i i just 
the thing is, and I think why this wasn't flagged a little bit earlier, this is actually not necessarily a new thing. So Windows 10 actually basically said that this is a requirement. The only difference is, is the way Windows 10 handled it. If you didn't have this chip, uh, nothing happened. You're fine, right? And so right. people are surprised that now this thing that they basically said was a thing, but they've never enforced, now they're hardcore enforcing it. I think that's where kind of a little bit of that whiplash is coming in. So okay. that I think really, especially since we recorded the last episode, has been by far the number one thing, like you said, people are talking about with Windows 11. It's a aggressive change, and it's something that if I were to take a bet right now, will not stand. I don't think they're, they're going to have some kind of workaround. They're going to have some different version, something. Let's do this. This is fun. You think it, that they will change it? I'm just going to say for fun, they won't. Okay. And we'll see where we end up. <laughs> well, the good thing is, at least there are some positive things we've learned yeah. about Windows 11 since, or actually just Windows in general. The Windows Store... That's actually starting to look pretty good. They are really loading it up with apps. Filling up now that they've kind of, you know, they, they've changed the way that the business model works. They're basically letting anything in. A bunch of applications have already started filling into the Windows Store, stuff like OBS Studio, Zoom, Canva, WinZip, uh, Adobe's Acrobat Reader. They're all in there, even though this is just a beta period for Windows 11. So as things continue to, to move forward and Windows 11 starts eventually rolling out, I think this is great. Like this is the model I'd always hoped the Mac App Store would be. Yes. Like a unified store experience. Like maybe you get, not only do you find stuff, maybe they could have updates funneled through it as well. Like basically take all of the good parts of mobile app stores and open them up to desktop apps. Like that's kind of what I always wanted. Absolutely. Then on a, you know, Austin, I actually have a solution for people that don't have a TPM 2.0 module. Okay. What's that? Buy a Mac? Windows 365. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude. This is a really interesting and weird product. It's currently uh, only going to be available for business customers, but I'm sure they'll find a way to change this in the future if they want to. This is a full version of Windows that runs in a web browser. It's basically Xbox game streaming for windows so you can just over the internet like you're basically streaming video to you but there's a windows machine somewhere in the cloud that you are operating on it's really cool right i mean essentially you can imagine a ton of uses for this say i've got an ipad and i just go to whatever microsoft 365 website or whatever and i log into my browser and suddenly i have my own dedicated windows pc in the cloud uh, there are a bunch of options for this, different, like, you know, everything from, like, one CPU and a couple gigs of RAM all the way up to, like, tons of CPU cores, tons of RAM, tons of storage. I'm sure you'll have to pay a lot more for those higher-end versions. But it's a really interesting sort of way that you could theoretically run Windows on anything. You could run it on a Windows 7 PC. I think the only real requirement is you have to have a somewhat modern web browser to support it. And I know that yep. if you're running on a Windows machine specifically, you do get additional uh, features. I think you can mm -hmm. even do like multi-monitor support and like USB pass-through and a few other things that if you are on a Windows system that make it a little bit more usable. But theoretically, this will work on a Mac. You can, on your M1 Mac, you can load up Windows 10 or I guess soon it'll be Windows 11. You know, essentially real machine in the cloud running in your browser. Uh, theoretically, you can run it on Android. You can run it on iOS. Uh, lots of possibilities, which I think is really, really cool. Um, I mean, mind you, this is never going to be something that's going to be super wide. I think it's always one of those slightly more enterprise kind of, you know, I'm a business and I don't want people to be 
loading up tons of malware on their systems. So I'm going to make sure that everyone runs in the cloud or runs on iPads and hops in to use some weird piece of software or whatever. But like, this is a cool idea. Um, I hope they don't need a TPM 2.0 chip to access the website. That would be unfortunate, wouldn't it? Before we go, let me tell you about another show here on Relay FM for you to check out. Pictorial is a show about art history for anyone and everyone, and you don't need an art degree to listen. It's hosted by Quinn Rose and Betty Chen. Go to relay.fm slash pictorial or search for pictorial wherever you get your podcasts.